Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Babes Who Manifest podcast. I am your host, Luanza, aka The Gratitude Chick. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and give my podcast five stars. Also, follow me on all of my social media platforms. The Gratitude Chick for both Instagram and Facebook, Gratitude underscore Chick for Twitter, and on TikTok, Babes Who Manifest. Also, for all of my reading babes, check out the new reading merch on the website, www.bwmmerch.com. to another episode of your reading corner with the gratitude chick so today we are still reading our book the alchemist and we are in part two and uh, you guys know part two is the longest part so i've been breaking it up and we're going to continue on our journey with the boy as he gets to um as he goes you know is starting to travel through the desert um, so just as a reminder, I do read with my own commentary that you do not have to agree with, but I do read with my commentary. If you are new, we are in the middle of the book, so go back and get back to episode one of The Alchemist and start there. Okay, let's begin. The boy awoke as the sun rose. There in front of him were the small stars had been the night before was an endless row of date palms stretching across the entire desert we've done it said the englishman who had also awakened early but the boy was quiet he was at home with the silence of the desert and he was content just to look at the trees he still had a long way to go to reach the pyramids and someday this morning would just be a memory but this was the present moment the party the camel driver had mentioned, and he wanted to live it as he did the lessons of his past and his dreams of the future. Um, I think that's very important to stop and just kind of talk about because it's especially for someone like me, I live a lot in my head and I rarely do as, you know, kind of the older folks would say, stop and smell the roses or live in the present. Um, I have always been, most of my life, living for tomorrow. Um, Probably, it's probably why one of the books that by my favorite author, Sidney Sheldon, resonated with me so much because the title is called If Tomorrow Comes, you know? And... Um, I've always lived for tomorrow and I don't know why but it could have something to do with the fact that I've always been a procrastinator but this right here is like I told like I told you guys before in in one of the other episodes this book is a gem um, just simply because it's it's such an awesome story but within the story are hidden gems to remind us of what of how we really should be living our lives today and it says that you know the Englishman woke up and said we've done it and he was still because he was you know basically content to look at what's going on in the present and really just be thankful for the present and that to me is a lesson especially 
today when it is two, 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 two. Did I do it? Five twos. <laughs> two, twenty-two, twenty-two. Um, this is supposed to be a day of great energy because of, you know, the twos, you know, and what it represents. So I've, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big, uh, you know, astronomy or astrology person, that kind of thing. But I do, you know, believe in, you know, numbers as a Christian. If you're a Christian, you should believe in that too, because the Bible is chock full of it. You know, there is numbers and, you know, there's uh power in three and seven. So, um, you know, don't neglect these things just because you don't understand it. Um, so I would definitely say for today, especially live in the present, live in the present for today. So uh, let's go back to reading. Although the vision of the date palms would someday be just a memory right now, it signifies shade, water, and refuge from the war. Yesterday, the camel's groan signified, uh, excuse me, signaled danger, and now a row of date palms could herald a miracle. Awesome. The world speaks many languages, the boy thought. This boy was very smart for his age. The times rush past, and so do the caravans, thought the alchemist, as he watched the hundreds of people and animals arriving at the oasis. People were shouting at the new arrivals. Dust obscured the desert sun, and the children of the oasis were bursting with excitement at the arrival of the strangers. The alchemist saw the tribal chiefs greet the leader of the caravan and converse with him at length. But none of that mattered to the alchemist. He had already seen many people come and go, and the desert remained as it was. He had seen kings and beggars walking the desert sands. The dunes were changed constantly by the wind, yet these were the same sands he had known since he was a child. He always enjoyed seeing the happiness that the travelers experienced when after weeks of yellow sand and blue sky, they first saw the green of the date palms. Maybe God created the desert so that man could appreciate the date trees, he thought. He decided to concentrate on more practical matters. He knew that in the caravan there was a man to whom he was to teach some of his secrets. The omens had told him so. He didn't know the man yet, but his practiced eye would recognize him when he appeared. He hoped that it would be someone as capable as his previous apprentice. I don't know why these things have to be transmitted by word of mouth, he thought. It wasn't exactly that they were secrets. God revealed his secrets easily to all his creatures. Right? Okay. He had only one explanation for this fact. Things have to be transmitted this way because they were made up from the pure life. And this kind of life cannot be captured in pictures or words. Because people become fascinated with pictures and words and wind up forgetting the language of the world. The boy couldn't believe what he was seeing. The oasis, rather than being just a well surrounded by a few palm trees, as he had seen once in a geography book, was much larger than many towns back in Spain. There were 300 wells, 50,000 date trees, and innumerable colored tents spread among them. It looks like a thousand and one nights, said the Englishman, 
impatient to meet with the alchemist. They were surrounded by children, curious to look at the animals and people that were arriving. The men of the oasis wanted to know if they had seen any fighting, and the women competed with one another for access to the cloth and precious stone bought by the merchants. The silence of the desert was a distant dream. The travelers in the caravan were talking incessantly, laughing and shouting as if they had emerged from the spiritual world and found themselves once again in the world of the people. They were relieved and happy. They had been taking careful precautions in the desert, but the camel driver explained to the boy that oases were always considered to be neutral territories because the majority of the inhabitants were women and children. There were oases throughout the desert, but the tribesmen fought in the desert, leaving the oases as places of refuge. With some difficulty, the leader of the caravan brought all his people together and gave them his instructions. The group was to remain there at the oasis until the conflict between the tribes was over. Since they were visitors, they would have to share living space with those who lived there and would be given the best accommodations. That was the law of hospitality. Then he asked that everyone, including his own sentinels, hand over their arms to the men appointed by the tribal chieftains. Those are the rules of war, the leader explained. The oasis may not shelter armies or troops. To the boy's surprise, the Englishman took a chrome-plated revolver out of his bag and gave it to the men who were collecting the arms. Why a revolver, he asked. It helped me to trust in people, the Englishman answered. Meanwhile, the boy thought about his treasure. The closer he got to the realization of his dream, the more difficult things became. It seems as if what the old king had called beginner's luck were no longer functioning. In his pursuit of the dream, he was being constantly subjected to tests of his persistence and courage. That's pretty deep because it's a reminder to me because as I am reaching for my dreams and stretching, you know, stretching that belief muscle, I keep telling you guys to um, stretch that muscle. I am constantly being subjected to tests. And this is why I created an episode many months ago that says persistence, persist, persist, persist. And sometimes I have to go back and listen to my own words because persistence is key. When you are wanting to go from one step to the next, there is going to be or there are going to be tests to come upon you, you know. And a lot of times these tests can do what, you know, my friend used to say all the time, knock you off your square, you know. And unless you are persistent in what you want, you will fall off that square. So make sure that you have the courage to persist. And maybe I'll do an episode on that just to update persistence. But make sure that you have the courage to persist and that you believe in your dream that it is everything that you want it to be. Be clear and concise. Because if you are not clear and concise and what it is that you want is really not what you want, then when the, the, 
when you are subjected to the tests that come against you, you will be knocked off that square. So you have to know yourself to know that this is what you want. Period. Okay, back to reading. So he could not be hasty nor impatient. If he pushed forward impulsively, he would fail to see the signs and omens left by God along his path. God placed them along my path. He had surprised himself with the thought. Until then, he had considered the omens to be things of this world, like eating or sleeping or like seeking love or finding a job. He had never thought of them in terms of a language used by God to indicate what he should do. Hmm. That's that's very deep. I'm going to have to ponder that. Um, because I never look at God as, as a person to, or not a person, but as, you know, a being who would try to trip me up or that's that's the wrong way to say that um not try to trip me up but I guess put the obstacle in my path um but I I guess I could see that because you know a lot of times when I'm in the church or being raised in the church you all often hear that there's no testimony without a test so obviously if there is a test in order for me to get from one level to the next, then that obstacle has to be maybe not sent from God, but allowed by God. I don't believe, like the Bible tells us, that he will not withhold one good thing from us, right? So I don't believe that he sets up the obstacles. I do believe that he allows certain things to happen, though. Okay, uh, back to reading. Don't be impatient, he repeated to himself. It's like the camel driver said, eat when it's time to eat and move along when it's time to move along. True. And what, what the one thing that I that I um, said to myself today, because usually my sister is very, um, she is my motivator, you know, because I am easily, not, I am easily, um, not even easily, but, I often feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. I don't know why, because I don't even have children or a husband. <laughs> but I often feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. And um, it takes her to kind of, you know how when you are ironing a shirt or, or a dress and it's really wrinkled or, you know, if you've, if you've washed and, you know, dried it and you put everything back in your laundry bag and when it's time to iron, you pull it out and it's really wrinkled and you have to smooth it out to iron it. That's kind of what my sister is. She is that part of me that takes what I am looking at that's so big and, and it's all so scrunched together and she takes it, straightens it and smooths it out. So I'll be, so I can see it better. She has she is that one person who's able to do that for me, you know. So I I get it, and 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 that is why when it says eat when it's time to eat and move along when it's time to move along. Today she was you know <laughs> upset because a lot of stuff just kind of is happening happening weirdly to both of us today, and it's just like 
what is happening? <laughs> we both were like, what, what is happening? Like literally when I woke up, it was nine something. And I looked at my phone and I was like, huh? And then I talked to her and she was like, both the, the same, huh? Like it was so crazy. And you know, I'm more aggressive and she's more passive. And she was telling me, you know, I got to go back to bed before I cuss the people out. And I'm like, huh? And me, I decided not to cuss the people out. <laughs> so it's been a weird day today. But what the thing that I thought that made me even say this, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm being very inarticulate trying to reach my point. But I, I said to myself, what's meant to be will be, you know? What is meant for me will be for me, no matter what. No matter how long it takes, what is meant for me will be for me. What is meant for me will come to me. And that is the conclusion that I came to allow the whoosh to go away. Because it was just so crazy this morning. And and, and usually I record um, the day before an episode drops. But I didn't record... Um, this episode yesterday and I'm recording it today which is happens sometimes but it just so happens that it happened um, that all this stuff happened this morning and it's still morning time I just happened to go ahead and let me just go ahead and record because I told y'all when I record it just I don't know it, it raises my vibration which is why I record so much so I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm being very inarticulate. I hope you guys follow some of what, <laughs> what I just said. I'm going to get back to reading. That first day, everyone slept from exhaustion, including the Englishman. The boy was assigned a place far from his friend in a tent with five other young men of about his age. They were people of the desert and clamored to hear his stories about the great cities. The boy told them about his life as a shepherd and was about to tell them of his experiences at the crystal shop when the Englishman came into the tent. I've been looking for you all morning, he said, as he led the boy outside. I need you to help me find out where the alchemist lives. First, they tried to find him on their own. An alchemist would probably live in a manner that was different from that of the rest of the people at the oasis. And it was likely that in his tent, an oven was continuously burning. They searched everywhere and found that the oasis was much larger than they could have imagined. There were hundreds of tents. We've wasted almost the entire day, said the Englishman, sitting down with the boy near one of the wells. Maybe we'd better ask someone, the boy suggested. The Englishman didn't want to tell others about his reasons for being at the oasis and couldn't make up his mind. But finally, he agreed that the boy who spoke better Arabic that he should do so. The boy approached a woman who came, who had come to the well to fill a goatskin with water. Good afternoon, ma'am. I'm trying to find out where the alchemist lives here at the oasis. The woman said she had never heard of such a person and hurried away. But before she fled, she advised the boy that he had better not try to converse with women who were dressed in black because they were married women. He should respect the tradition. The Englishman was disappointed. It seemed he had made the long journey for nothing. The boy was also saddened. His friend was in pursuit of his personal legend. And when someone was in, in such pursuit, the entire universe made an effort to help him succeed. 
here we go again with this this comment and this is true in our own lives the only difference here is that you have to be clear and concise on what you want because when you know what you want the universe conspires to help make it happen this is true that's what the old king has said he couldn't have been wrong i had never heard of alchemist before the boy said maybe one here has either the englishman's eyes lit up that's it maybe one no one here knows what an alchemist is find out who it is who cures the people's illnesses several women dressed in black came to the well for water but the boy would speak to none of them despite the englishman's insistence then a man approached do you know someone here who cures people's illnesses the boy asks allah cures excuse me allah cures our illnesses said the man clearly frightened of the strangers you're looking for witch doctors he spoke some verses from the quran and moved on another man appeared he was older and was carrying a small bucket the boy repeated the question why do you want to find that sort of person the arab asked because my friend here has traveled for many months in order to meet with him the boy said if such a man is here at the oasis he must be the very powerful one said the old man after thinking for a few moments Not even the tribal chieftains are able to see him when they want to, only when he consents. Wait for the end of the war, then leave with the caravan. Don't try to enter into the life of the oasis, he said, and walked away. But the Englishman was exultant. They were on the right track. Finally, a young woman approached who was not dressed in black. She had a vessel on her shoulder and her head was covered by a veil, but her face was uncovered. The boy approached her to ask about the alchemist. At that moment, it seemed to him that time stood still and the soul of the world surged within him. When he looked into her dark eyes and saw that her lips were poised between a laugh and silence, he learned the most important part of the language that all the world spoke, the language that everyone on earth was capable of understanding in their heart. It was love. Something older than humanity, more ancient than the desert. Something that exerted the same force whenever two pairs of eyes met, as had theirs um, here at the well. She smiled, and that was certainly an omen. The omen he had been awaiting without even knowing he was for all his life. The omen he had sought to find with his sheep and in his books and the crystals and in the silence of the desert. It was the pure language of the world. It required no explanation, just as the universe needs none as it travels through endless times. What the boy felt at that moment was that he was in the presence of the only woman in his life, and that with no need for words, she recognized the same thing. He was more certain of it than of anything in the world. He had been told by his parents and grandparents that he must fall in love and really know a person before becoming committed. But maybe people who felt that way had never learned the universal language. Because when you know that language, it's easy to understand that someone in the world awaits you, whether it's in the middle of the desert or in some great city. And when two such people encounter each other and their eyes meet, the past and the future become unimportant. There is only that moment and the incredible certainty that everything under the sun has been written by one hand only. 
It is the hand that evokes love and creates a twin soul for every person in the world. Without such love, one's dreams would have no meaning. Maktub, the boy thought. The Englishman shook the boy. Come on, ask her. The boy stepped closer to the girl, and when she smiled, he did the same. What's your name, he asked. Fatima, the girl said, averting her eyes, or... I don't really know how to pronounce that that name. I've heard Fatima, but I want to think maybe it's Fatima. I, I don't know. Forgive me if I didn't pronounce it right. That's what some women in my country are called. It's the name of the prophet's daughter, Fatima said. The invaders carried the name everywhere. The beautiful girl spoke of the invaders with pride. The Englishman prodded him, and the boy asked her about the man who cured people's illnesses. That's the man who knows all the secrets of the world, she said. He communicates with the genies of the desert. The genies were the spirits of good and evil, and the girl pointed to the south, indicating that it was there the strange man lived. Then she filled her vessel with water and left. The Englishman vanished too, gone to find the alchemist, and the boy sat there by the well for a long time, remembering that one day in Tarifa, the Levanter had brought him had brought to him the perfume of that woman and realizing that he had loved her before he had even knew she existed. He knew that his love for her would enable him to discover every treasure in the world. The next day, the boy returned to the well, hoping to see the girl. To his surprise, the Englishman was there looking out at the desert. I waited all afternoon and evening, he said. He appeared with the first stars of evening. I told him what I was seeking, and he asked me if I had ever transformed lead into gold. I told him that was what I had come to learn. He told me I should try to do so. That's all he said. Go and try. The boy didn't say anything. The poor Englishman had traveled all this way only to be told that he should repeat what he had already done so many times. So then try, he said to the Englishman. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start now. As the Englishman left, Fatima arrived and filled her vessel with water. I came to tell you just one thing, the boy said. I want you to be my wife. I loved you. I love you. The girl dropped the container and the water spilled. I'm going to wait here for you every day. I have crossed the desert in search of a treasure that is somewhere near the pyramids. And for me, the war seemed a curse. But now it's a blessing because it brought me to you. The war is going to end someday, the girl said. The boy looked around him at the date palms. He reminded himself that he had been a shepherd and that he could be a shepherd again. Fatima was more important than his treasure. The tribesmen are always in search of treasure, the girl said, as if she had guessed what he was thinking. And the women of the desert are proud of their tribesmen. She, re- she filled her vessel and left. The boy went to the well every day to meet with Fatima. He told her about his life as a shepherd, shepherd, about the king, and about the crystal shop. They became friends, and except for the 15 minutes he spent with her each day, seemed that it would never pass. When he had been at the oasis for almost a month, the leader of the caravan called a meeting of all the people traveling with him. We don't know when the war will end, so we can't continue our journey, he said. The the battles may last for a long time, perhaps even years. 
There are powerful forces on both sides, and the war is important to both armies. It's not a battle of good against evil. It's a war between forces that are fighting for the balance of power. And when that type of battle begins, it lasts longer than others because Allah is on both sides. The people went back to where they were living, and the boy went to meet with Fatima that afternoon. He told her about the morning's meetings. The day after we met, Fatima said, you told me that you loved me. Then you taught me something of the universal language and the soul of the world. Because of that, I have become a part of you. The boy listened to the sound of her voice and thought it to be more beautiful than the sound of the wind in the date palms. I have been waiting for you here at the Oasis for a long time. I have forgotten about my past, about my traditions, and the way in which men of the desert expect women to behave. Ever since I was a child, I dreamed that the desert would bring me a wonderful present. Now my present has arrived and it is you. The boy wanted to take her hand, but Fatima's hands held to the handles of her jug. You have told me about your dreams, about the old king and your treasure, and you've told me about omens. So now I fear nothing because it was those omens that brought you to me. And I am a part of your dream, a part of your personal legend, as you call it. That's why I want you to continue towards your goal. If you have to wait until the war is over, then wait. But if you have to go before then, go on in pursuit of your dream. The dunes are changed by the wind, but the desert never changes. That's the way it will be with our love for each other. Maktub, she said. If I am really a part of your dream, you'll come back one day. The boy was sad as he left her that day. He thought of all the married shepherds he had known. They had a difficult time convincing their wives that they had to go off into distant fields. Love required them to stay with the people they loved. He told Fatima that at their next meeting. The desert takes our men from us, and they don't always return, she said. We know that, and we are used to it. Those who don't return become a part of the clouds, a part of the animals that hide in the ravines and of the water that comes from the earth. They become a part of everything. They become the soul of the world. Some do come back, and then the other women are happy because they believe that their men may one day return as well. I used to look at those women and envy them their happiness. Now I too will be one of the women who wait. I am a desert woman, and I am proud of that. I want my husband to wander as free as the wind that shapes the dunes. And if I have to, I will accept the fact that he has become a part of the clouds and the animals and the water of the desert. The boy went to look for the Englishman. He wanted to tell him about Fatima. He was surprised when he saw the Englishman had built himself a furnace outside his tent. It was a strange furnace fueled by firewood with a transparent flask heating on top. As the Englishman stared out at the desert, his eyes became brighter than they had been when he was reading the books. This is the first phase of the job, he said. I have to separate out the sulfur. To do that successfully, I must have no fear of failure. It was my fear of failure that first kept me from attempting the master work. Now I'm beginning what I could have started 10 years ago. But I'm happy at least that I didn't wait 20 years. That's deep. And, and this is how we need to look at 
our lives. A lot of times we get bogged down on our age and why we haven't accomplished what it is that we sought out to do. But if we flip that switch and say, I still have the time, at least I, I'm this age and not this age, or at least I still have this amount of time to continue to fulfill my dreams. That is a great way to look at it. He continued to feed the fire and the boy stayed on until the desert turned pink in the setting sun. And I will say to that, to that end of the, what I was just saying, at least I am 46 or I was 45 when I realized that my gift of gab and being able to now have the technology for a podcast, I can live my dreams. Because prior, I didn't know how to be a talk show host or on the radio or, you know, that kind of thing. Now, with technology, I can start a podcast and help it grow. I can write books. I can do what I want because everything is now, technology is to the point where I can self-produce and self-publish. That is awesome. So being 45, realizing my dreams is an awesome thing for me. Okay, where did I leave off? He felt the urge to go out into the desert to see if its silence held the answers to his questions. He wandered for a while, keeping the date palms of the oasis within sight. He listened to the wind and felt the stones beneath his feet. Here and there, he found a shell and realized that the desert in remote times had been a sea. He sat on a stone and allowed himself to become hypnotized by the horizon. He tried to deal with the concept of love as distinct from possession and couldn't separate them. But Fatima was a woman of the desert, and if anything could help him to understand, it was the desert. As he sat there thinking, he sensed movement above him. Looking up, he saw a pair of hawks flying high in the sky. He watched the hawks as they drifted on the wind. Although their flight appeared to have no pattern, it made a certain kind of sense to the boy. It was just that he couldn't grasp what it meant. He followed the movement of the birds, trying to read something into it. Maybe these deserts, these desert birds could explain to him the meaning of love without ownership. Okay, so I am going to, to um, leave it there and we'll catch back up to uh, the boy and um, everything that's going on in the desert on Thursday. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to listen to me read um, this awesome story. I think um, as we come nearer to the end, we only have about 60 pages left. So as we come nearer to the end, I've been thinking about the next book. And I think I'm going to revisit a book that we never finished, but I'm going to start it over. Um, just because it's, I have so many episodes. I don't want you guys to dig through all of the episodes to find it. And um, because it's way back there from when, you know, I really started. I think that was my first book. So I'm going to restart it. It is called The Game of Life and How to Play It by Florence Scoville Shin. We will restart. We will restart that reading after this one. Thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate all the time that you take out to come and hear me talk. I appreciate you guys because you are helping me to live my dreams. So thank you so much. 
Don't forget to add gratitude as a daily practice in your life. I promise you, your life will change once you add the daily practice of gratitude. You guys have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Babes Who Manifest podcast. I am your host, Luanza, aka The Gratitude Chick. Don't forget to subscribe to me on YouTube at The Gratitude Chick. Make sure to click in my description box for the link to paid surveys, manifesting merchandise, and much more.